Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So Kyrie didn't go anywhere, but at least he did give us a quote that can be a meme for a generation. Holy smokes. I don't know. I mean, a lot of us did shows yesterday. A lot of us, I say podcasters, broadcasters, whatever, on the news that Kyrie was leaning very hard towards going somewhere else. And then all of a sudden he was like, no, I got to dare to be different. I'm going to opt into $36 million. Uh, <laughs> well, look, it's not my place to to judge decision-making by anyone. So I don't, I don't really want the podcast to go in that direction and snarky-ass Twitter can take care of all of that. My job is to break this down from a fantasy standpoint, and to that end, I mean, this makes that equation pretty simple. Now, Kyrie Irving is most likely, I still saw some people talking about how just because he opted in doesn't mean he has to stay in town. I mean, it, you know, it, if he was going to get traded, he wanted it to be a sign-and-trade, so he had the longer contract, he had the extension locked in. Uh, if the opt-out, then he would have had to sign for a ton less money, so this was the... Whatever story you want to roll with, it seems like there weren't enough suitors for the Nets to say, yes, we're going to trade you. And Kyrie said, fine, I'll play with you one more year. Now we'll see what's up. This could go very poorly if anything goes wrong. I know that the vaccine mandate has been pulled down. So that shouldn't get in the way. But it does seem like there's always something. But then there's the other side of this, which is, was this last week the wake-up call for Kyrie? And he can present it however he wants. We know what we all saw. And what we saw was a guy who has, well, from a handles standpoint, some of the best ever in the history of the NBA. And he's inarguably inside the top 20 players in the NBA right now when he's on the court. Maybe better than that. But, you know, let's just set a nice low threshold there. And what we saw was that not that many teams really wanted him. And we talked a bunch about it on yesterday's podcast as to why. The Heat, who I think you could maybe argue could have put together some kind of semi-compelling package, certainly in a way that the Lakers definitely could not, even though, we, as we sort of looped around to yesterday, they were the only team that was willing to take that shot. The, these other teams, they didn't want to take the risk on. If we're going to have to give something up for this guy that might end up being a net negative for us, we're not going to do it because we feel like we can get there on our own. That was the story I believed with a team like the Clippers as well, who just picked up John Wall on his buyout, and we'll talk about that momentarily. So then Kyrie looked back, I would assume, at, I don't know, his situation, himself, whatever you want to call it, and said, all right, this is my choice. This is all that's left. So I, I'm in a league. I'm in a, a keeper league where uh, you can keep players for a maximum of two rotations. So you could have them on your team for a, a grand total of three seasons at maximum. And... You lose two rounds against their draft position each time you keep them. So if you draft them in the eighth round, you could keep them at a sixth round pick the following year. 
I drafted Kyrie in the fifth round this last year. This was sort of a little bit of a keeper rebuild thing. And my hope, looking at it there, is that this was a wake-up call. I don't know it's going to be. For about 99% of the NBA, I would say this is the wake-up call. Player had to kind of stare himself down, look in the mirror and say, okay, like I've, I've pushed this about as far as I can push it. But with Kyrie, we just don't know. He's, he's the 1% of goofy in the NBA. So I don't know. Did he get a wake-up call? Maybe. And if he did, this is the, okay, crap. Like, I don't have a $35 million, $40 million op- option for next season now, the following one, 2023. I better show teams that I can at least be mostly committed to the team I'm playing for. Because during his time with Brooklyn, he really didn't. Brief stretches. Play a couple games this last year, get a week off. Sure, a team making a run at a championship wants to make sure he's there for the playoffs, but they also need to have any kind of chemistry getting to that point. And his actions have obliterated that. Repeatedly now. But again, from a fantasy standpoint... I'm hoping that this was a little bit of a wake-up call. Okay, I got I to gotta show I'm worth a big contract this next offseason because this is sort of the, okay, get your one last gigantic one before we start to taper off a little bit, most likely. And he's not going to get what he feels he deserves. And from a talent standpoint, he certainly does. He deserves a giant contract as much as anyone just on pure ability but he has soured so many teams that they're just like, no, we can't take that risk because what if, what if he goes Kyrie? What if he detonates our franchise for four years? Teams simply can't take that shot. So if he goes buck wild this year, which is a distinct possibility, meaning that he did wake up a little bit, he could at very easily end up being a first game per game kind of guy. And if he gets, I don't know, I'd be hunting for about 65 games out of him. Show me just enough. Show me that you care just enough. So I'm not expecting him to play 75 games. Who does? Very few players actually get to that point. But, I mean, give me, like, I don't know, year two in Boston. That was 67 out of 82 ball games. Even his second year, even the middle year in Brooklyn, which was the, the purposefully shortened season. He played 54 out of 72 regular season games, which I know you see 54 and you're like, Ugh, but that was 18 games missed. That was only a few more than league average. It was like 14. This, not this most recent season, but the previous one. And he was stellar then, 27 points on 51% from the field, which again, I mean, that feels a little bit like an outlier, but... He tends to be, he took more three-pointers this last season, so that may have weighed in a little bit on the slightly depressed field goal percent, but he tends to be more in that 48 range, which makes him one of the best high-volume guard field goal guys in the NBA. Maybe the best, come to think of it. If I'm looking at just guard-eligible guys, and I'm looking at field goal percent, some of the best, the guys that actually take those I, you know technically lebron i guess is guard eligible in some spots 
Mikhail Bridges out in Phoenix, guard eligible. And he should be. He's more, you know, traditional wing type, I guess. Uh, But he only took 10.5 shots per game. You don't have to go that far to get to Kyrie in terms of what he usually can provide. Now, again, he was in the in the 46-47 range this year, so we need to get up about 1%. But if he does, providing that massive guard stat set while either not hurting or even slightly helping field goal percent, while also he's one of the best free throw shooters in the NBA, I mean, look, I, I realize that this is a, a very... This is an extremely frightening thing to say out loud, but I'm going to say it. He might be one of my favorite Roto plays for next season. I do feel like he's pissed off enough people, and it doesn't even have to be fantasy-wise, just like because he wasn't playing, because there was always negative attention about Kyrie Irving. That will move him down down draft boards. And because uh, in head-to-head leagues, which dominate ADP information on Yahoo, you know, it's pretty damn scary to take a chance on a guy like Kyrie and and whatever might cause him to miss ballgames. That will push his ADP down the board. The only places I see him going at like a reasonable valuation, is probably nine cat Roto games capped leagues. So now, you know, the fact that that's basically the leagues that we do here on this show, it's it's helping us, and I happen to believe that they remain the fairest leagues in the land. That was weird. I did it anyway. The fact that those, to me, are the fairest, uh, probably... And, and that's what we what we focus on. The fact that in almost every other league format, he's probably not going to go that early. And frankly, even in a lot of 9-cat Roto games cap league, I don't think he's going to go that early. Because, uh, like, again, all the reasons mentioned before, he's soured a lot of people on his value. And I know I'm spending a lot of time on this topic, but if you guys wonder how we, we, we I, whatever, get to... Uh, some of our valuation projections or conclusions, it's you weigh all of these factors. How badly does he want to prove himself? How many games does that actually equate to for a normal player versus a guy, Galaxy Brain Kyrie? And believe me, I totally get it. You might not want to take that plunge. And I also get it because I say never draft an injured player in the first round. Look, I'm not taking him in the first round. That's that's too much. That's too rich for my blood. But a couple of years ago, he was going at like 20. He was a second rounder. I'm trying to remember exactly when that was. Uh, he was going around 20, and that might have been that might have been last year, actually. Not this most recent season, but the previous one, the 72 gamer. And then he was so good in those. Uh, Again, 64 games he played, or 54, sorry, out of 72 games he played, that it actually counterbalanced it. He was number three on a per-game basis, and that same year, because he was so good, the fact that he played whatever it was, like three, four games fewer than league average number of games played, he was still number six by totals. 
that's the type of Kyrie we might get this year. He might very well be an early first on a per-game basis, despite the fact that Ben Simmons is on that team. I still don't know necessarily that he's going to take the court. I don't care that KD's around. I know those guys can split the touches just fine. But I could very easily forget, look, like top three, that's a that's a lofty goal. But I do think that Kyrie inside the top seven on a per-game basis, very attainable. Top 12, almost guaranteed. And so then if you get this year out of 82 games, if you get 62 out of 82, that'll still keep him inside the top 18 pretty easily on a totals basis. Probably better. Again, this is like the floor to me. So this has that, it's not the Chris Paul air to it because with Paul, we knew, we can see how his brain works. He's a, a, uh, he has a ton of pride, and you knew that his pride was hit. With Kyrie, I have no idea. He might very well walk into this year and just say, you know, give him the Rashid Wallace as long as they cut the check kind of thing. But I don't think so. I think this was, this was a little bit, even if it wasn't a full wake-up call, it was like a snooze alarm for him. So yeah, we're talking a lot about Kyrie, but like he might be one of my favorite. If he's going mid to late second round this coming season, he probably ends up as one of my favorite value plays on the roto board because to get a guy late second that you can almost guarantee will be a first rounder on a per game basis it's a little bit like the Kristaps Porzingis thing except with KP we know he just can't run for 30 minutes a game or his knee's gonna blow out we know Kyrie can run we have to try to guess whether he wants to hey you want to run for you know 10-15 games in a row I don't know his response I don't know couple other little things that flew across the radar today. Oh, no, forget the little thing. In fact, we may end up postponing our next team breakdown because I thought Kyrie deserved a lot of our attention with now a landing place more firmly in, in it fixed. John Wall reached a buyout with the Houston Rockets. He's expected to sign with the Clippers after all of that. And that is, from a winning standpoint, probably a pretty good landing spot for him. From a fantasy standpoint, it's not. Because, look, look we, have to be, we have to be real with ourselves about what John Wall actually is at this point in his career. And what John Wall actually is at this point in his career is a free-throw punt kind of guy. Unfortunate, but true. It was the kind of stuff you could sort of get away with earlier in his career when he was hitting free-throws. But his last two seasons, he hasn't been able to hit those at all. Remember, look, he was never a fantastic foul shooter, but, you know, third, fourth, fifth years in the NBA, he was getting up around 79, 80, 81%, somewhere in that neck of the woods, and it seemed like that's where he might level off, which then at least he was only a field goal percent semi-disaster. was pretty bad. He had that one year where he shot 45%. He had one where he was like 44 and change, but mostly he's been in the 42-43 range. And then the last time he played in Houston, not this year, but the last year, he shot 40%. So a lot of the explosion is gone, and probably that does come up a little bit playing alongside the likes of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. He'll be a little more open. He's not going to have to go do stuff all by himself. But like many players in the NBA, he takes a crap ton of three-pointers now. Probably more than he should, given he's a 32% career three-point shooter. Suddenly, he shoots just 70% at the free-throw line. So, 
Calling all points leaguers. Because he will play. He will play. He'll play over Reggie Jackson most likely. But, you know, even if those guys end up splitting minutes, John Wall's not someone who's going to shy away from usage. He will put a huge hole in whatever you're doing on the percentages side, which, regardless of what format you're in, if there are categories involved, he's a difficult player to roster. You could have John Wall, and you could still be okay in free throws because you know, maybe not all is lost there. He might be able to squeeze his way back up to 75, 76, something like that. Maybe you know, it gets out of his head, and that number comes back up into the high 70s even. But the field goal percent is going to be rough. He's not going to take as many shots. He's not going to have the ball in his hand nearly as often as he has in the past. So on the Roto front, I wouldn't touch him in any round. To me, on Roto, he's undraftable. In head-to-head, you could make some arguments. You could say, well, you know, if I'm a, like a punt field goal team, he makes a lot of sense because you can still, again, hang on and, and win free throws. I think you'd like to win free throws if you're punting field goal. Very hard to win head-to-head leagues if you're actually punting both of those and then he's quite useful in defensive stats gets blocked shots from the point guard position he's always been a good steals guy he'll score he'll get some assists even if it's not as much his usage is going to be way down in LA from what it was in Houston you may want to go all the way back to like second third year Washington John Wall where he was more in the 16 points per game but even then, he got eight assists a night, which I don't think is happening in L.A. With, with, again, George and Kawhi handling the basketball. He'll bring it into the front court. There'll be stretches where he's the guy running the offense. Those move everybody else off ball or you know, all the other superstars might be out. And Kawhi gets his nights off and PG will get his nights off. Wall will probably get his nights off as well. I do think, and you know, with John Wall, he had the, the heel, Achilles, all that stuff. Um, as his time in Washington was winding down. It's hard to know. We'll have to see what shape he comes into camp in. But again, I think with head-to-head, he's also extremely dangerous because more so on the missed games front. And if you're talking points leagues, that's probably head-to-head also. Uh, What about the missed games? Dude hasn't played a full season since 2016, 2017. That's a half decade ago. Yes, I know, he sat out last year, and he mostly sat out the year before that. Year before that, he was hurt. Year before that, he was hurt for part of the season. Year before that, he was hurt for half of the season. It's been a while. It's been a long while. And there's just no way his body comes back to what it was five years ago, post-injury, and just cooling for all of this time. Yeah, I mean, he could probably play later into his life because of really not playing much for five seasons, but... If we're looking for fantasy value, I think we're probably barking up the wrong tree. Is there a universe where I could convince myself to take the plunge on John Wall? Um, You know, if he's falling outside the top 100 in a punt points 8-cat league, then maybe. I mean, that's you're threading the needle there a little bit. For many years, I've been in a league that it's it's 11 category. I think that league might unfortunately have lost so many people that it's it's probably going under. Uh, that was one where I'd look at it and go, well, maybe, because you could punt field goal percent, and it's it's so heavily reliant on volume that you're like, all right, well, this is a guy that if you get him super late, the volume probably makes up for all the disastrous stuff. But 
I don't know, man. I'm I'm not gonna play. I'm not in any points leagues. So with that one probably disbanding, <laughs> whatever I talked about on this podcast, points league wise. I mean, I can still give you the gist of it. Yeah, he'd be better in that format, unquestionably, because he's a high turnover, low percentages guy. It's pretty easy calculus to run through. But also, he's going to miss games. Um, his usage is going to be down over basically any year in the last eight or nine for him because he's never played with two superstars, certainly not ones that are the obvious 1A and 1B, where he now is the obvious number two. Even when he had a star by his side, that was Brad Beal in Washington, he was the 1A, Beal was the 1B. So there's a pretty big downward jump for him from a usage standpoint. I'm sure from a like competitive basketball standpoint, he's thrilled. He's out of Houston. He gets to play. To that end, I'm actually quite happy for John Wall. Sucks a lot that he didn't get to play for a year and a half. That's hard. I mean, I know he's collecting a ton of money, and we'd all love to sit on our asses and make $60 million or, without actually doing anything. And, you know, he made the other 20 from playing. Uh, but he wants to play. I mean, these guys, like, they got to run their entire career. They have basically 15 years to do the thing that they love. So if you pull what is effectively like 15 to 20% of that, and you're just like, nope, can't do it. Still going to pay you, but you don't get to do the thing you love. That's hard. Mentally, that's hard. So, you know, good. Good for John Wall. He's out. That's good. Fantasy-wise, yeah, not so much. There are a lot of places he could have gone where we he he would have been someone you could look at a little bit closer in head-to-head punting kind of thing, but, you know, I don't know if it's worth it. If you're talking like 16 and 6 or something like that, is that really worth it with the bad percentages? Probably not. And the other news of the morning is sort of non-news. There's been stuff getting punted around about whether or not the Hornets were going to uh, try to offer a ton of money to Miles Bridges, and it sounds like they will. Uh, Mitch Kupchak came out and said quite deliberately, he's someone we're going to keep, uh, which, you know, just from like a handicapping standpoint, that does make things a little bit easier. I will say this, though, on the Miles Bridges front, I don't know how it could be any better. He was number 10 by totals, thanks to playing in 80 games this year. By averages, he had fallen to number 32. So the only thing I want to put on the Miles Bridges front before we kind of put a pin in stuff and just make this a we're going to talk about three players show today is to say, look at kind of like the last, call it like the last 30 games of this season on Miles Bridges. And that's more, I think that's probably closer to what you're looking at with him. He was still good, late third, early fourth, basically late 30s. But remember, the beginning of the year, the first, like, 25, 30 games, he was a first rounder. I mean, he was dominant. Did he tire out? I don't know. Is it the fact that sort of the defensive stats leveled off a little bit? The free throw percent leveled off a little bit? All of those things that we kind of knew were going to happen as time passed did. And he fell back to what, by the way, is still a colossal win. So I don't want to try to make it sound like you take anything away from that. I just, when you look at next year, like how early is this guy going to go? If he gets drafted in the third round, I don't think I would do it. Durability-wise... You know, that's a good thing for him. Uh, I'd rather get Bridges in the fourth or beyond. Because, again, if you draft him in the third, you are banking exclusively on him playing 
in probably a good chunk more than league average number of games, which he might do. He's pretty damn durable, strong kid, incredible athleticism, which always scares me a little bit on a team that's trying to continue to improve while also trying to get out of Gordon Hayward's contract (laughs) at the same time. That's a good spot. They're a bubble team, so they're going to be fighting until the end of the year. LaMelo's getting better. Regime change out there, whatever that, we'll see what that does to things. But, again, he's not the first rounder we saw at the beginning of this season. He's more like a late third, early fourth on a per-game basis. Um, and so then, again, if you draft him there, you're like, look, this is, this is good. I need you to be at league average number of games. The upside is, is he more durable than that? And he might be. But a lot of this is to be continued because free agency is coming in two days. And I don't even think I said hello and welcome to the podcast, so I'm just going to do it here at the end. This is and was Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am and was Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Thanks, as always, for listening and making this the uh, most listened to offseason in the history of this podcast. I love you. And we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Probably back into team breakdowns tomorrow. And then, uh, well, there might be a ton of trades. I should probably just be careful and say we're going to roll with the punches. If there isn't a ton of news, we'll get to the next team breakdown. If there is, we'll do that instead. Screw it. It's the offseason. I do what I want. <laughs>